and welcome to Polly Pages. Books. <laughs> the podcast where genuine Polly people read the texts that have shaped our community and culture. I'm Claire. And I'm Sebastian. And on this season, we're reading The Ethical Slut, third edition, by Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton. Where are you? I'm in Amsterdam. 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 Me too. Whoa! That's right. So the first episode of part two is coming at you from the Netherlands. Coming at you from the Netherlands, indeed. Fun fact, I used to live in the Netherlands, and you are half Dutch. I am. I have a Dutch passport and everything, but this is my first time in almost 30 years of life. <laughs> it's like the first time ever coming to, to come. the Netherlands. No, Here when I was a kid, we flew through here once. Through here once? Through, yeah. We probably don't need to put this in. Oh, well. We'll cut it out later. You won't. No. I enjoy these little <laughs> interludes in our, in our discussion, so especially because it's a little shorter chapter. Welcome to episode eight of Polly Pages, season one, in which we are reading the first chapter, the first chapter in part two. And part two is called The Practice of Sluthood. It is indeed. So, so far, you will have, if you've listened to all of these, which obviously are, all of our listeners will, <laughs> will listen to everything in part one. And also a um, bonus episode, which we need to finalize. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but this, I think, is the beginning of seven chapters. Yeah, seven chapters that are about how to kind of begin to practice slothood. Yeah. And yeah. this episode is called Abundance. Yeah. Chapter eight. Yeah. And it's really, like Claire said, it's, it's moving away from sort of the theory and into the more practical things. Still, yeah. Like, more the... I feel like the first section of the book was more like, here, you're thinking about this. Here are some things to think about. And now it's like, okay, you've thought about it. You want to do this? Yeah. Here's how you do it. So, for example, this chapter is, I think, I mean, it's about abundance. And that's actually a concept they introduced and we covered in um, chapter three, so episode three, um, which is page 28 of the printed copy <laughs> of the third edition. Um, well, they do introduce this idea that abundance is entirely available and mm-hmm. that um, the starvation economy, economy is bullshit. And this is basically when they start to go into that bit more, de- a bit more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think enough detail, but we'll, oh. I will save my comments until the end. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring them as they come. Okay, so um, yeah. they start this chapter by reintroducing that, that notion of um, scarcity. That mm-hmm. there is an unspoken belief that there isn't enough of love, there isn't enough of commitment, there isn't enough of enough of sex to go around. <laughs> um, Never enough sex. <laughs> um, and they have some ideas about ways that you can help to overcome those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they pretty swiftly go into talking about the starvation economy. Do you want to explain for everyone what a starvation economy is? Yeah, um, and like I said, we talked about it a little bit in, in episode three in the third chapter because it comes up, but you know, a starvation economy is not directly from relationships, but it comes from the idea like there's a limited resource of something um, and that when somebody uses it, this finite resource, somebody else can't have it, whether that's food or whatever else. It comes from those things, but it applies in this situation, what they're saying is like each person has a finite amount of love to give or the idea that, that well, there's... They're saying the opposite. They're, they're saying the opposite of that, but, but the idea behind the starvation economy in this context is that people's belief that something like love or commitment is a finite resource for each person and that if, if a person is giving that resource to one person or somebody, they have less of it to give to somebody else. Like you have 100 units of love. <laughs> I have given you 80. I've only got 20 left for the rest of the world. I get 80. I'm just saying as an example. I don't, I don't need that much. No. <laughs> you can Plus, I don't have only 100, so which is the whole point, right? Um, and they, um, do, they do very briefly explain um, kind of why, where you get these notions of starvation mm-hmm. when it comes to emotional needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they give like the quickest of all nods, essentially, to, to childhood attachment theory. They don't actually say that, but that's what they're talking about here, right? They're talking about how... Um, we learn about starvation economies in childhood if we have parents who are emotionally depleted or um, maybe friends or punitive lovers, people who are withholding, maybe manipulative. Like these reinforce this notion 
starvation economy. What they don't put in here is that also the media does quite a lot of reinforcing starvation economies when it comes to romance. Like, oh, he's my one and only. Oh, she, I love her more than I could ever love another person. Like, oh, she's mine and I'm his. Like, that kind of stuff really reinforces this idea that, like, you, you're 100 units have to go to the right people. I, if I wanted to get as much love as possible, I should, I should stake as many claims as possible and, yeah. and leads to some pretty, I think, manipulative behaviour. Yeah. Um, but they don't actually talk explicitly about attachment theory. Really. They do not. Um, I, I mean, think they... that is a bit of a, a, a lack. I think that was, that's a bit, pretty big deep dive that they could do on that. Yeah. But I do think, yeah, I, I just... I, I'm glad that you made the point that like it's more than just like direct relationship like there's a lot of media there's and there's a lot of language that people use like I love you the most like everything's very quantified like when people talk about love and, and romance like it's but only romantic love like as they as they kind of point out in the latter part of this section like we kind of logically know that this is bullshit I mean when when a parent has a second child they don't love their first child less or usually <laughs> well i'm just saying like that could be something that leads somebody to have even more issues with this is i mean there are situations where that happens with children or other things okay but what about but, the, the other example they give where they're saying like if you have three pets yeah. you don't look after them all a third as well as you look after one pet because you like love all of your pets that's true right so we kind of logically can break this like down and realize like this is not the way that emotional needs and specifically romantic needs need to be quantified um but they don't do it i don't think they do a huge a huge amount in going further with the starvation economy and i did want to like pull up a quote that i found that i really liked which kind of was really illuminating for me um it's from like this woman called lynn twist who i think is a uh like a, an ngo visionary alleviating poverty type person um, but she, she said, the first thing we do in the morning before our feet even hit the floor is we think, I didn't get enough sleep. And the last thing we think before our head hits the pillow at night is I didn't get enough done. And everything between those two moments is a litany of scarcity. I refuse to buy into that. And I certainly refuse to bring scarcity into my romantic relationships. I choose a life of abundance. Which that was really nice. I agree. I like but that. But I, I think it, the, from that quote, basically, I began to think about like... They could have gone into more detail in this part of the book about how this is not just about romance. This is like, you're enough. And the whole capitalist media structure, like they really could have really gone into this about how that whole structure is designed to make you feel like you need, that you need to be worthy of something. In this case, what they're talking about is like love or sex. That you, need, you need to earn affection. But you don't need to earn shit. Like, you're absolutely 100%, like, choosing to think that way. And I, and it's true. I spend, like, every single morning I wake up and I'm like, I didn't sleep enough. It's, like, the first thing you think. I frequently stay up at night being like, I should have got more done. Yeah. And unlearning that is important. Okay, I'm going to leave my political tirade. It's okay. Let's move on to the next section where they which talk about letting, letting go. Letting go. Which Let is. Let it go. I agree they were. <laughs> we just watched this movie. Let it go. Let it go. They're making a Please second one. No. <laughs> Shameless plug. Okay. Um, so the second section, letting go, is sort of. I mean, they were a little bit brief about the starvation economy, but sort of. Okay, so everybody. Not everybody, but most people have some amount of the starvation economy sort of internalized from different things in life, whatever those may be to different degrees. How do you get past that? How do you change your thinking about these things to not be, to not be feeling like you're in a starvation economy, to not be thinking of things in this way. Um, and I mean, they even say the first thing that they say is getting over your past fears of starvation can be one of the biggest challenges of ethical. So like it's a big part of getting past that because it feeds into so many As things. I said, like, I think it's unlearning eight. Right. Yeah. Um, and that it takes a big leap of faith. Um, and you have to trust that in taking that leap of faith and unlearning this and sort of rejecting stuff that might be very deeply internalized, you're not going to be hurt by it. And it's actually going to help you 
that, that, you know, embracing abundance and believing that instead of believing the narrative of a starvation economy is going to benefit you. Um, and part of that that they talk about, which I think is really important and resonates a lot with me is a sentence where they, where you have to be clear in your head. Like you really have to believe that you deserve love and nurturance and warmth and sex and whatever else you need. And that it's not like you have to fight for it and you have to earn it. Like you deserve that. And if you go out there and look for it with open arms and it will come to you. I mean, they talk a lot about that and that it's, I mean, it's really internal. You have to unlearn this and you have to be willing to take that leap. Yeah, I have to say, now that we're meant to be talking about the practice of slothood, I do find this section to be lacking in any kind of like concrete. Hmm. Like you basically just covered everything they say about how to let it go. And it is really much like, it's just like, oh, just uh, try really super hard. And believe in yourself. And they use a lot of like free falling metaphors, yeah. leaps of faith metaphors. And I'm like, it's not particularly helpful. I'm sure there is like, I want, I did do some research to try and find if there was like more concrete ways of like mm-hmm. addressing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it's their job because they're the authors to do yeah. that. But this is just like, they're saying it's really scary and it's really hard, but just do it anyway. Yeah. And then they start talking about the safety net, which I'm guessing you, you can see you've highlighted it. But I just don't think yeah. that, that this... This isn't a step for letting go. It's just like, oh, and then just let go. Like, just do yeah. it. <laughs> Push. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll, maybe they'll they'll come back to it at some yeah, point. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the safety net? Yeah, I mean, they keep talking about it and, you know, how do you let go and how do you trust that it's going to be okay? Like, if you're, it's kind of like flying on a trapeze, they, they put it. You know, you have to, you have to trust the security you have and trust that if at the end of the leap there will be something to catch you. Um, but they say, and like I said already, like the safety net is you. Like you have to rely on yourself and you have to be comfortable with yourself, which is something we've talked about before too. Um, and I guess this kind of goes back to sort of the capitalist, like... Um, the the capitalist, hamster wheel of... Yeah, the hamster wheel of... or the Self-consciousness. <laughs> self-consciousness. Like you, you can't be trying to... If you, if you think in a starvation economy, like there's a finite amount of love... And you're trying to get more of it to satisfy yourself. Because it's a fixed resource and you have to find it and get it. Yeah, and I guess what they're introducing here is that there's another place where you can find that resource. And that's kind of self-generated love. Self-love. Right. I mean, basically, this is a plug for if you love yourself, if you put energy into loving yourself, you're going to be less concerned with finding external love to fill that need. Yeah. Or... I think that's definitely the the vibe I get from this section. Right. Which I think is, is valid. Like I mean, what, One of the, I think I should just say that they do in this section put in a little kind of, one of the, one of the authors, Janet. Mm-hmm. Um, she says in here how at the beginning of like her polyamorous life, every time her partner was out with someone else, she would um, see another one of her partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that is like a very interesting way of approaching a moment when the starvation economy is going to feel the most real and that's when your partner is off literally with a, with another partner and you feel like ah oh, they're taking that time that they could be spending with me and they're going to go on this date with this other person that must be a reflection of me i know i'll find someone else that wants to spend that time with me mm-hmm. pretty healthy i think like as as a tool to manage what could be a super difficult moment um and then she goes on to say that like now after, I assume, decades of doing polyamory, she actually is like, oh, good, you're leaving because I really want to spend time by myself. Like, that self-nurturing, like, ding-ding self-love is taking the space that previously she kind of, like, I don't know, like, outsourced (laughs) to another person. So it's almost... I actually think that maybe having polyamory as or non-monogamy, consensually non-monogamous people in your life is a good way of taking that step towards, okay, this is actually something I can do myself and away from, oh, I'm going to get this person to do it because you can diversify the outsourcing. Does that make sense? I feel like that was like very wordy. No. I should write stuff down. It's okay. It makes sense, I think, mostly. Okay. Should I introduce Um, the next section? If you want. I'm trying to think if there's, I felt like there was something else I wanted to say on that section. Um, but I don't know what it was, so let's keep going. And if I think of it, we'll come back to it. 
This is unabridged. <laughs> this is unabridged. This, um, is, this is our ramblings. Okay, so have, having then spoken about how, like, there's so much of everything and, like, all the love is, is possible for you if you just love yourself in a fairly platitudinal way, um, they then do start talking about real-world limits because, obviously, there are finite things that you have. And they basically, in this section, highlight three. Time, space, and possessions or things, essentially. You only have 24 hours in the day. Everyone only has 24 hours in a day. Um, you only have the space that you can afford or the space that you happen to have. Obviously, that is, uh, I guess, more flexible. And you only have a certain amount of stuff. They don't say money explicitly in here, apart from one They, they one do mention part. it a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like, like those resources are right. finite. Mm-hmm. Should we start with time? So, yeah, let's start with time. Time is... I highlighted this sentence, and I think it's super funny, but time is the biggest real-world limit. Um, and I have spent some time, I, I know I plug Reddit a lot, but, like, if you if you read some of the poly subreddits and other stuff, like, every third conversation is about shared schedules and, like, Google calendars. I have, look, look what I wrote. Ugh. I have such a disdain for shared Google calendars, and, like, every consensually non-monogamous person seems to have one. <laughs> and, like, I understand why. And they are plugging it here... They're saying if you don't already have a shared calendar, now's a good time to start. And I just, I don't want to be that person. Uh, I, I like their next sentence, which is respecting one another's realities and staying flexible. And I think that's like, you know, logistics is difficult. Mm-hmm. But if you, if, you, if you don't feel all, all the, the issues that the starvation economy makes you feel, you shouldn't be having this much of a problem with time. I really think that. Because you'd be like, oh, something else came up that you'd rather do. Cool. Doesn't have any effect on me. Like, apart from the fact I can't do this thing with you, but it doesn't, like, reflect on me. Do you know what I mean? No. And it's like, oh, you want to go off and do that thing? And, like, you've changed your, your stuff. And I think that if, if you are genuinely living in a space where, where you've done quite a lot of the processing of the starvation economy stuff, it's like, okay... That doesn't reflect on me as a person. It doesn't diminish my value. It's not a reflection on me. It is a reflection on what you want to do. And you have your reasons for doing that. I think this is why I'm always like, I don't want an online calendar because like, you're an adult. Just tell me what time you can meet up. (laughs) But I think that's very different. I mean, I don't have a shared calendar with anybody. Yet. Yet. Wait for it. (laughs) Um, but I will say like, so the, the other people that I'm dating right now are, are also very busy and it does create a lot of scheduling issues and we'll go back and forth for like half an hour in a group text to try to figure out what's going on yeah. because, because schedules are flexible and respect each other's realities. You eventually right. figure it out. And I think the next, the next kind of bit that she talks about is like, how much time do you really need to get your needs met? Right. But and I guess. also like. Like, do you spend that much time thinking about do we actually need to go out for drinks, or are we really just we just want to like stay home? You know, it's it yeah. we're cutting out an hour driving to and from the bar, like because really what we're meeting up to do is I don't know this particular kink scene or something, or like oh do I really need what they say here is do I really need to stay and cut like and cuddle all night and have breakfast next morning, or do I just really want to have a good conversation with you? which could take much less time. I think that those are really helpful yeah. things to think about. I, I agree. But they also have in here as well, like, make sure you schedule time for yourself. Yeah. Which I think is really nice. I put that in there. Um, yeah, I think it's something that everyone struggles to do because we're, yeah. we're not really taught to prioritize ourselves very often, I don't think. Yeah, and I think when you have limited time... And, you know, when you have, a, especially if you have a limited amount of free time, there's sometimes, like, you feel like you, you need to fill that with other people. Um, and it's something that, like, personally is a big issue for me because I, most of my scheduled time between school and work is spent with a lot of people. And I quite desperately need time to myself. And sometimes I forget to do that because I'm like, but I've only been working. So I need to go spend social time with people. And I'm like, oh, I see. Yeah. but, I, I mean, I've actually spent 60 of the past 80 hours with people, barring sleep. And then I forget that, like, that's still exhausting and I need to put, like, I've gotten much better at it in the last mm-hmm. few years, but 
it's a, it used to be like, I would just, I would overstretch myself because I felt like that pressure. And it is really important, whether you're introverted or extroverted or what you're like to take time for yourself, whether that's like time alone or like quiet time with one person who's like, whether that's a partner or a friend or so whatever. So what I like to do is I like to walk, walk my dog. It's something that I do by myself. I usually slap on a podcast and it takes me 40 minutes every day. It's like a good way for me to, to force myself to have time alone because I'm not, I don't need a lot of it. I'm quite extroverted. But I still feel like I, I'm being super productive that time because I'm walking the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one more thought on the time before we move on to space, okay. which is NRE. That's a good one. Yeah. New yeah. relationship energy. So you are with somebody, you guys kind of have a package of time that you usually spend together and then there is a new um a new like time pressure, I guess. I guess it'd be really similar to like let's say you're suddenly cat sitting or you have a kid. These are things that will affect the time that you have in small and big ways. And having a new relationship will like obviously require some of the time to go to that new person. Um, so as I just said, respecting one another's realities and staying flexible, super important because a shared calendar and good communication is not going to be enough for like the emotional changes that need to, that need to happen when, when you're reparceling your time. Yeah. Well, I think also it, it, part of that with new relationship energy, NRE, so many acronyms, just like so many, it's a but, poly alphabet soup. but you know, especially in new relationships with, with anybody, monogamous, poly conceptually, what, whatever, like when a new relationship starts it very often because it's new and exciting and like things like it pulls a lot more time and even like emotional energy and everything. Mm. And so if you have an established partnership and then one of you starts to date somebody new, it will shift one person's balance of time towards different things. Mm. And part of that goes back to, you know, getting out of the starvation economy, like you're using up a resource and also being flexible and communicating well about that. Um, and still making sure you're taking time for yourself and your other partners as well, or communicating what you're, what you're needing, I think is important. Yeah. Um, And being honest that that is something that happens and that's a normal thing to happen. And it's not, I mean, there are going to be clashes because of time and also space and possessions. But I think that, um, with time specifically, because that is a hundred percent finite, like you literally do not have more time. This is all the time you have. Right. Right. But, Maybe let's say like, so, so if you have a long-term partner and your NRA is for, for something that you like might be, it might be long-term, but might be really short-term. You could also think about time as being like, you have a much larger span of life together to share versus when you have a new relationship, like that can only happen in this small pocket of the time of your life, because this is one that's happening right now. So I think that's sometimes like a really helpful way for me to think about it. It's like, yeah, okay, he wants to go off and go on a date with this guy. And like, he's spent a lot of time with this person. And like, it's a big change. But I have like 300 more minutes of your life, essentially, (laughs) already logged. (laughs) Does that make sense? You stop thinking about time as something that's happening right now and only right now and start looking at it like this whole resource over your entire span of of your life and trying to make sure that you're using that in a quality way, not just quantity, which I think is what they were saying about how much time do you really need to meet those needs. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on to space. Cause it's another hard, hard resource. Mm-hmm. Um, so space is a real world limit mm-hmm. because like we don't all live in multi room mansions with rooms dedicated exclusively to sex. Yes. We took that from the book. We did. Which is too bad. Shades of Grey is not real. Unfortunately. Well, no. Well, the the sex mansion would be great. The sex mansion would be great. But realistically, you will run into space issues. So we are now currently having a discussion about sharing more space. And I really liked this term that you used, which was sexile. 
Mm-hmm. Which I never heard before, but you, you, you. It's a pretty common phrase in America. Is it? Okay. So, so. Yep. I loved it. I thought it was really funny. Um, and but that's even... basically when, if you share a bedroom or a room or a play space or whatever, and then you're like, oh, I want to have a one on one experience with another partner. Can you, like, fuck off? Right. <laughs> Essentially. Right. <laughs> so I can fuck. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, and they, I mean, they talk about it right in here, too. Like, I mean, basically, like, say, say we live together, we had a bedroom. And then one of us brought somebody home. Like, it would be a pretty shitty situation for either of us. It was like, hey, I'm home. I want to go to bed because I got work in the morning. But I can't. Or I have to sleep on my couch. Mm. Because you're, you know, taking the bed with somebody else who doesn't live in this space. Um, so, like, clearly that's a, that's a boundary and a, a communication thing that you have to establish. Yeah. If you're going to live in the same space and with the expectation that you will bring people over. And some people just don't do that, right? Like some people, their arrangement is they don't yeah. bring people to their shared space. Some people have a non-negotiable, we need two rooms, essentially. If you don't have the luxury to do that, some people will have a hotel that they like to frequent or a third mm-hmm. space. I mean, there is a many, a multitude of ways that you can manipulate space that isn't just like, oh, I guess we should put up another wall. Right. Um, or, of course, just play with the partner, I guess. Make, oh, well, let's make this twosome yeah, so a threesome, baby. Like, yeah, well, we're all about that, but I mean, everybody's going to go yeah. for that one. And I'll put you now. So, obviously, apart from solving this with separate bedrooms, personal spaces, if you can afford them, if it does come down to having clear agreements well in advance of any date and then strictly sticking to them. So, it kind of touches on the time. And yeah. I don't have anything to add to this because I've never shared space with a partner. I mean, you, I guess, a little bit. But, like, I've never had a space that I share. I'm very, like, independent. Um, I think this is... This would be good to to think about for somebody who maybe is monogamous and opening up or mm-hmm. someone who is looking to begin to nest with a partner. I mean, it, it, it comes back to that, that space sharing. Is that, I mean, it also comes back to how you've structured and how, how you've decided to do things and what you... Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, I think it's mostly just a conversation and, you know, it's tricky, like, because it depends on your means and what you can do. But having that conversation, not from a place of, of sexual starvation. So not coming from like a, oh, well, every night that you spend with somebody else is one night you could, like, and I slept on the sofa, it's one night that we could have spent together mm-hmm. and start being like, oh, you want to do this thing that doesn't involve me and it has nothing to do with me doesn't change my value and maybe even finding some compersion in that and being like oh yeah this sofa is really uncomfortable but like you know what i live in this space i can literally sleep with her anytime i want like obviously giving consent like trying to be as compersible and take take the minor irritations as minor irritations and setbacks not as like this will never work boundaries are broken immediately which I think also probably applies to the time as well. Something that I read on one of the blogs was was very mindful of that. Mm. Okay, the third hard real world limit. I should stop saying hard limit because that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. That's a different. That's a very different context. We really. is possessions. So that's yeah, money, food, art, sex toys. Those are the ones that they use. <laughs> you know, the four main food groups of of possessions. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um this was, I mean, this one is trickier and also less tricky. I mean, I, well, because yeah. this can be so many things. And I mean, some things are like really basic. Like, I mean, it could be clothes. It could be like snacks in the cupboard or it could be, I mean, they go into like really specific like gifts or like different things. And, and part of it depends on your relationship and also the relationship between either metamors or other partners. If you're... The partner, like say you live with a partner and you have another fairly serious partner who's around a lot and they're very close and they have their own relationship, then that might be a different situation than if you brought somebody pretty new home and they just started wearing around your partner's clothes sort of uninvited, right? Like, so I think part of it is, is based on that and also being, if there are things that might be a little bit more personal or a little bit more specific to a partner, being a little bit more conscious of that or being respectful of their personal belongings yeah i go about this very different way i was like don't touch anyone else's shit and own less stuff done well you just don't own that much shit i own nothing i, I mean i never really <laughs> thought about it. I mean, a bag of sex toys. <laughs> that's really true 
Well, this is this is one of the ones that I think is interesting. Like, sex toys is a, a hygiene issue as well. It's just a health issue. Mm-hmm. And um, in a minute, I will also brainstorm some other real-world limits that include health. Um, but, yeah, if you're going to be having... Like, if you, bu- if you buy... Frequently, people will buy some possessions as a couple. I think being very careful with, like, whose is that... Like, whose responsibility is it? So, like, oh, we, we brought this dildo, only we will use it together. Versus, I brought you this vibrator, so you can use it however you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, that again, they, all they have in here is communication, but there's also a bunch of great resources on how to make sure that you are hygienically sharing your sex toys, including barriers and regular cleaning. But all of that has to be done off of a basis of, like communicating it with all the partners involved um i don't have anything to say about food and art i just have things to say about sex toys (laughs) i mean that's fair i mean art like i don't know how like who's gonna come and steal your art off the wall like and food like i I, I mean that that's a weird one for you because food in my house is fair game to anybody who's in it so i would never think of that there's always so much food in your house no, because I feed people. Yeah, there's no starvation economy there. No, not that kind of starvation. <laughs> you have such um, a feeder. Um, I mean, I think at and the end of don't the... lend money. I think that's just like a good rule. Don't don't lend jointly owned money without discussing it with a co-owner. Well, that yeah, that's called yeah. theft. Yeah. Okay. Like, do so what you, you want with your own money, not with shared money. But so I think. Have, oh, did you? Have, can I, yeah, just yeah. a general thought to wrap up those three things, which one, like everybody's going to deal with these things differently. And the biggest part of all of these is communicating your needs, like what what you need for the relationship or from the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you feel like something's not being met or if something is not communicated well, like all of this comes back to if you communicate well about these different things, especially these these things that are more limited, yeah. you, you will be able to avoid or at least proactively deal with problems. Yeah. And, it, and I think that the other tip that I would add to what they already have in this book is... Um, they they say stay flexible, but I think take that further. If something if if something in these in these real world limits is niggling at you, don't just discuss it with your partner, but also internally discuss it with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like like what it could feel like a devastating blow to be kind of like ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it actually, or does it hurt because of an internal reason? And how much of that really is it, is your partner's responsibility if you're still in the process of letting go? How much of that should really they be worrying about? Don't necessarily overburden yourself or your partner by not first trying to understand why this feels so bad if, like, your time or your space or your things are being used. Take a second to think about it yourself before you have that conversation. Because mm-hmm. you're not... You know, you're, you're, you're dating a partner because you like them for many reasons. I'm guessing none of those are because they're a certified therapist. Don't date your therapist. Unless they're really nice and you get on well. <laughs> okay, so sexual economies is the next one. Or the tyranny of hydraulics. Which My is, new favorite phrase. I know, it's so good. What is the tyranny of hydraulics, Claire? Um, it's essentially... Hmm. Do you want me to explain it from an anatomical perspective? <laughs> yeah, okay, go on. So, but, but this is Dossie's phrase. Um, in, in this case, the hydraulic mechanism, I believe they're talking about is the penis. They're um, always talking about a penis. Oh, it's all about the penis. It's always a fucking penis. Um, but basically, it's a, it's a funny way of saying, like, physiologically, there is a finite amount of activity one person can pump themselves up for, <laughs> oh as it were. God. Um, yeah. Um, so basically, I think the way that I would say this is, it's a libido question. Yep. Not everyone is going to be able to be what they say here is sexual superhero. Um, either a man who can just remain hard all the time. Hmm. Um, <laughs> or uh, a woman who's just like immediately wet and willing and wanting every single time. Like people aren't just walking around feeling like they need to fuck all the time. Maybe you are, but like most, most, (laughs) maybe you are. That's absolutely fine. We have to understand that not everyone's libidos is going to be the same as you and they're not necessarily going to coincide. So maybe you've just come back from a lovely long morning with a partner and then that evening your other partner who hasn't had sex in a week is like super horny 
I think that's that's what they're talking about when they're running into these sexual economies. I don't like the phrase sexual economy. I do love the phrase tyranny of hydraulics. Mm. And then they give some they give some like pretty pretty concrete recommendations of how to kind of uh, get your libidos in sync. Both most of which are just uh, do do more of the sex, but think about sex differently. Yeah. So readjusting. Like, not every sex needs to be, here's an erect penis, here's an orifice, let's, let's bump them, them together, together for a while. there is some hydraulics. Some hydraulic release. <laughs> some hydraulic release. Um, they talk about tantric yoga, yeah. and I think they're going to go on a lot more into that in chapter 23. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also talk about outer course, um, things to do with sensuality, massage, mm-hmm. just for its own sake maybe like having a really sexy smutty conversation maybe just watching porn together um like there is there's a lot you can do if your partner and you are kind of not libido synced up um Mm -hmm. and again don't let a little bit of disappointment ruin the whole the whole shebang Mm -hmm. you know um yeah i think i mean i really like the shout out to like other i I think re, I mean, we talked about it in some of the earlier chapters, but reimagining or rethinking about what sex really is and what that looks like mm-hmm. and what intimacy is. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to be intimate with a partner and, and there's a lot of ways to be intimate with a partner, even if you are not participating in the penis and vagina normal way. Penetrative. Penetrative. There's a word for that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of other ways to enjoy each other or to like help your partner enjoy themselves without you having to be synced up in the same way. And if if you're regularly finding that you are that you genuinely want to have a lot more sex than your partner and it's making the partner feel, I don't know, bad in some way or making you feel bad and it's affecting a relationship, then there are so many resources available for this. There is like post trauma counselling that regularly speaks about like libido and supporting a partner who's like maybe struggling with certain sexual acts there is lgbtqia forums where they talk about here are the vast amount of asexual ways that you can be intimate and maybe encouraging libidos as well and like making sure that you feel safe and calm and confident with those people having those conversations could actually be like way more sexy Mm -hmm. than actually just like kind of grumpily being more horny than your partner all the time like, I guarantee you that the experience will be better than you just kind of not talking about libido because it's kind of difficult. Well, I, 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 again, a lot of this comes back to communication, but if it's something that you can talk about and be like, hey, I've noticed you're not that horny or you're not, you know, as involved or whatever, then you can talk about what's causing that and ways to ways to address that, whether that is finding other partners to help meet those needs, finding ways to meet those needs yourself or other things that you can do together that meet those needs in a different way. Or if there's something deeper than that that's causing it, figuring out why that is and if it's something that you have to work on together or how you could. But if you just sit there and grumble about it, everybody's going to feel yeah. shit. Yes. And nobody's going to no enjoy gonna themselves. Come. No one's going to come if you're grumbling. Yeah. Um, Unless I mean, you're we, into that. But. We've definitely had issues where our libidos haven't synced up, especially when you, we spend more time together, I think. That's, yeah. Um, I think mornings. This is like a really interesting thing. Like I'm not super gun ho in the mornings anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm always the horny are, in the morning. Like super horny in the morning. Oh. So, so that that like that is a um, like I guess a microcosm of what could be like a larger yeah. conversation, right? Like that we just sat down, we spoke about it. There are some mornings where we do other intimate stuff. There's some mornings where we kind of go separate ways and. But talking about it was better than when we weren't talking about it at first because then we talked about it and we're like, okay, cool. And then I was like, this is a really, there's a really easy solution now that we've made it. Yeah. We we found easy ways to deal with that situation. Um, Okay. Let's, um, can I add one other thing just on there? Mm -hmm. Something that I think is really important, which is people need to be more open and, and ready to talk about sex if you want to be in especially in, in any relationship but i think some people really still like 
Well, I mean, they're listening to a podcast about polyamory. Right. So you, you well. people out there, our listeners, are probably fine. But in general, oh, like seven even, of you. even the, <laughs> well, so that's ambitious. <laughs> no, anyway, but yeah, I mean, old, just sorry. be. I mean, even if you feel like you're good at this, like you know, take a step back and and don't be afraid to talk about it or or to, you know to voice yeah. how you're feeling about it, and don't don't blame each other. Just talk about it openly and and like what try to figure out solutions together. Also, every time we discuss this, as if this was me two people having that discussion, obviously there might also be third. Like if you're in a throuple, there is that that communication should still be happening. Agreed. And I think one thing to just be mindful of is when you're having that communication, it might feel like one of you is being ganged up on by the other if both of you are voicing similar concerns. So it might be worth those two kind of touching base and getting notes before... Good shout out. It to the third in the triads because I know that that's been something that that I've heard about previously being a problem, even though I've never been in a triad myself. Okay, are you really gonna starve? I haven't yet. Can you pinpoint the areas of your life where you feel insecure? Yes. And I then, think... can you ask yourself, <laughs> did you decide whether the thing you fear is actually possible? Those are the internal reality checks that they recommend. And this is a very short section, which again, I think is another one that could be super long, could be super could be long, super helpful. Um, and it's coming back to like, what, when you fear this starvation economy, what are you really fearing? It's usually not something as simple as like the, just the external thing. That's like, I'm not, I'm not getting enough love. Like, I mean, ding, ding, quite ding, you know, there's like something deeper going on that, that you're afraid of that you're, attaching to this one thing um whether that's sex or intimacy or it's some other feeling or it's time like there's probably something deeper and you're just you you found something easy and tangible that requires less work than really figuring out what you're afraid of and oh my god that's so well put that was really well put oh my god high five we should write that down yeah um so and that that takes time and self-awareness and um you said this before but like your partner shouldn't be your therapist even though that's often the person that you would want to work through some of these types of things with and certain things they probably should be involved with and certain things they probably shouldn't be because it's a you thing and it's hard for a partner to see you struggling with something and then for them to necessarily have the most objective thing especially if it if it impacts them or they're involved in it yeah so i think you have to I mean, for any relationship, for anything, you have to be self-aware and you have to really be honest with yourself, which is much harder to do than it sounds sometimes. Like, yeah. you'd think it'd be really easy to be honest with yourself. And then, I know in my experience, I'm not always very good at it. Yeah, I mean, the, the example they put here is, um, is your disappointment that they can't get it up really just that? Or is it anger and jealousy over their date last night? So this thing is pre- presenting as like, oh, I'm really angry because uh, the tyranny of hydraulics, the libidos aren't synced up, but actually you're super jealous that they spent this time that you know is finite with somebody else the day before. Once you go through some internal checks of actually like, okay, but why am I worried about that? I don't know, it could lead down a whole wormhole. It's going to be so, so personal. So there's only so much they can say about it, which I guess is why this it's so short, right? But when I was talking about the internal checks earlier, I guess this is what I'm talking about. Do some of that work yourself. Take it on mm. yourself to do that work like a goddamn adult. I will <laughs> Before say. Before coming to your partner and being like, here's my dirty laundry, please clean. Yeah. I do think, though, at the end, they, they offer a couple of little tips. Um, and one of that is either taking the time to think about whether whatever you're fearing, like when you really take, is it really something that's possible? Like, you know, you can get these like little niggling things like, oh, well, they spent more time with this partner. So they must be, you know, they're going to leave me. Yeah. Like your brain can like spiral out of control from like this one little thing to like, oh, they bought vegan bacon because I'm the only meat eater and they don't even want me in the house. Right. It's like, whoa, maybe we just didn't buy bacon because we're both vegan. Right. Um, but they do, (laughs) thank goodness. What? Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, they, they add a couple other things, frequent check-ins, um, Good communication. Mm-hmm. Communication, I mean, communication is everything. Um, to keep you aware of whether everyone's, anyone is feeling deprived. Um, and internal reality checks. And I, and I think that's important too. I mean, you have to be honest with yourself. Um, and, it, I mean, it's not your job to deal with somebody else's emotional health. But if you have partners, like, you, you, have, can, a you have a stake in that. And you can be try to be aware if, if something seems off with them. 
maybe maybe like they need a little push to like realize what it is and yeah. make that work. So and I think from the sounds of this, they're gonna have a chapter later about how to support people that are mm-hmm. struggling. So. Okay, limits can stretch is the last section. Um, apart from the disgusting nod to diet culture, which I'm not even gonna dwell on. Um, fuck diets. Just want to say that right now. Mm-hmm. I hate diet culture and everything is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of this whole section. I think is just like you might want to try something that feels like a change. So, for example, a new living situation or a new sexual act. Learning these things takes time. Be patient with yourself and learn one thing at a time. Right. So, oh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to make sure that I still feel like super um, supported. Super supported even though we're now doing a distance relationship, learn little bit by little bit. Um, mm-hmm. The example they use here is feeling safe and sexy and special when your partner is out on a date, which is like on all the Reddit all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, taking like that first and then be like, okay, now how can I work on being like super um, warm when they start talking about that date? If that's something you want to discuss with your partner for example, step by step and take, take time. I mean, they don't really, I think that's everything they say in this section. Everything yeah. I highlighted. Yeah, that's all right. Um, okay. But I, so that's the end of the chapter. Do you have anything you want to add? Cause I do. <laughs> I always do. You always do. What do you want to add? Okay. So as I was reading this, this whole chapter, all these little bits about starvation economies, limits, letting go, like libidos, BDSM, the moment you start throwing kink roles into this, I feel like it becomes super different because there's, there's issues of ownership and possession and control that can be really fun in the BDSM community that specifically play with the starvation economy kind of rhetoric. Like grabbing the sub's head and being like, you're mine. Mm-hmm. And like taking them in front of maybe an audience if, or whatever. Um, that's, that's all like kind of almost feeding into this stuff, all this stuff we're talking about unlearning. And I think that BDSM probably would be, I don't know. I think it changes some of this stuff. I mean, think about it. You've got like, uh, baby girl and daddy. Then I thought about like attachment theory. We're talking about like taking on a huge amount of emotional, like, like an emotional role as well as a sexual role in the health of another person. Um, when they were talking about limits, I was thinking about like sexual limits. Um, I think sometimes the kinksters might have like a, only I can do this thing with you. Like only I can fuck you in our dungeon, <laughs> for example. <laughs> or only I can play with this. Like this is, this is our sex toy. And I think that that kind of changes so much of what we've spoken about and would be really interesting. So I'm going to try and find maybe an extra mm. article about that. Um, I think maybe my, my takeaway from it was like, if you're going to be doing BDSM um, whilst dealing with these issues, just make sure that you're using BDSM to kind of like play with these nuances, but not to reinforce starvation economy. Like at no point should you have a harem of subs that only you can own and you are 100% responsible for their health. I feel like that would be a super potentially abusive situation because it would be reinforcing the starvation economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's an interesting thought. I haven't yeah. really thought I, of I'll it. I'll try but... and find some articles on it. Maybe we can do like a bonus episode or something. Okay. Okay. At the end, they have this nice vignette. They did indeed. This sort of like snapshot of history of, I can't pronounce it because I'm not... From the Oneida community. And you said that you lived... The Oneida Indians were all over the sort of northeast, I think. Um, And I lived near like one of the Indian reservations that still exists in upstate New York. Now everyone... They have a casino. Huh? They have a oh my god. <laughs> they do, I've been okay, to the So so Nida is a town in upstate New York and in the um eighteen hundreds this shockingly a, a man, Protestant preacher, who believed that Jesus had already returned, by the way. It's not in this chapter of it, but there we go. But he he was worried about his wife who had, was having repeated like repeated stillbirths 
um, very dangerous pregnancies. So he experimented with sexual acts that would involve basically male orgasm without ejaculation. And from this developed a sort of sacrament sexual practice um, in which the sexual organs were the medium of the noblest worship of God, which is obviously not unusual. We've seen that before in other things. Tantra is very similar, healing Tao, etc. But then he went and set up a a huge sort of uh, congregation in the town of Oneida. They built a 93-bedroom mansion. Had a bunch of businesses. They had women with short hair. Pretty scandalous at the time. Um, and they actually really sort of pioneered a little bit of women's rights, even though that clearly didn't stick. But they were a little bit more forward-thinking on women's rights and participation than most people in that century, or the, the next one, actually. Or this one. Or any century that has existed. Love Trump's hate. Ugh. Anyway, um, so, unfortunately, this is obviously, well, unfortunately, fortunately, whatever, but, like, this didn't uh, last, and eventually Noyes was forced to flee to Canada, <clears throat> um, and sort of in his absence, with he left it actually to his agnostic son, because I did some background research on this, um, but he left it and people began to kind of like, they wanted to get traditionally married. They wanted to have private residences. They started to build like, uh, family homes in, on their communal land. Um, and now it's like obviously vanished because this was the 19th century. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting little... Yeah, I didn't know this about that, despite having lived not too far from there. If anyone wants to come visit, you can now stay in that museum. Um, and I just wanted to add that this was founded in 1848 with 87 members, and there was 306 in 1878. In 1879, Noyes was, like, flee Canada. He actually flee Canada because of statutory rape charges, so that was a less fun note to end on, but... Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's the end of Chapter 8. We'll be back for chapter nine, which is going to talk more about some slut skills. I do you love to skill up my sluts? Yeah, and we'll we'll <laughs> see where we are for that one. Until then. <laughs>